podcast listener. Even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Yeah, buddy. Welcome back to the TMBA podcast, boss man. Can I can I do a little self promotion here at the top? Uh, you okay with that? You're gonna sign off on it. You the boss. You always be self promoting. Go here ahead. Here we go. I'm I mean, what's different? I, I don't know what I'm opting into. That's different. <laughs> go ahead. Sure. Welcome to the TMBA podcast. We've been doing this for over ten years. Every Thursday morning, it's exciting to be here from the pod shop, locked down on quarantine. That's right. We're in Ian's car shop. I just want to say something at the top. I was looking at our website, tropicalmba.com. We have so much going on. We have daily live streams during the lockdown. We have a remote jobs boards for all y'all looking for new jobs or your family members looking to work from home. We have a private community for entrepreneurs. We have a free book about multi-million dollar exits. There's just so much happening. Go over to tropicalmba.com, get on the mailing list. Every week we send out a newsletter. The bottom line is that we can help prioritize all this stuff for you. What we do here at the podcast and all the related services are designed to help you weather this moment. We've been planning this for this for years. We are survivors. We are going to survive. You are going to survive. And that's what today's pod is all about. One of the coolest things, Ian, because we have this amazing community of listeners. One of the coolest parts about these strange times we've all been experiencing is that we've been able to reach out to really smart people that we've known for a long time and get a sense for how they're feeling and how they're responding in what is an extraordinary moment in all of our lives. Here's the thing, Ian. Today's conversation, which was recorded just yesterday, is pretty special. It's a conversation with our good friend, Travis Jameson, the founder of Smash Digital, who is not only an SEO ace, but a guy, an entrepreneur who's exited a business for eight figures. And now he's an investor as well. I think it's it's hard to beat my current situation. I'm in uh, Charlotte, where I live right now. I've got a nice big house, nice big backyard, delivery of everything. Life's not too bad, but I miss the the daily trips to the cafe. You know, I'd go work in the cafe for a few hours, and that little tiny thing makes a really big difference. I realize insanity. Like I'm just fine. Like nothing, nothing's a big deal, but it's really nice to, to escape a little bit. What are you most scared about in these times? Is that the way you experience it as fear? Yes, but not for myself. I'm really, really worried about a lot of people at this point, more economically than anything. I think we're in for a really bad time. So just a little bit of background. Travis unleashed a minor tweet stream on his thoughts about the current situation, which really hit home for me. And I know for you too, Ian, and I felt like that Travis captured a significant moment. So before we get started with our conversation, I asked Travis to read that Twitter essay. The tweet storm. One, I feel so disappointed seeing the somewhat preventable economic dumpster fire that is upon us now. Figuring it's about to get much worse with unknown cascading effects. Corporations, pension funds, central banks, and governments alike all just kept kicking the can down the road. Two, everyone kept acting like the party would never end, 
rack up debt, leverage yourself up some more. Let's lower the Fed's fund rate at the peak of the biggest bull market in history. We will never need more firepower down the road. Three, pension funds were already insanely underfunded. They needed to get at least 7.4% a year just to become not more underfunded. They're dead. They're toast. Good luck, boomers. Four, CEOs and boards just did whatever they needed to hit the stock price target. Just as long as they get their options, who cares about the future? But investors weren't much better, preferring prices to move up quicker versus having any sort of buffer. Just buybacks, buybacks, buybacks. Screw the cash reserves. Five, the entire last few years of this crazy only goes up market resulted in no real economic expansion. It was really just fiddling with the numbers. Who needs to actually improve companies when you just have financialization? Six, every year that goes by, governments at all stages are just creating insane deficits that just get bigger by the day. But modern monetary theory says that it doesn't matter. We just have to spend, spend, spend. Our crazy policy is based entirely on spending and consumption, not on savings. Seven, no one could see the coronavirus coming. No one. But common sense says that at some point, the tides would shift. I'm really, really feeling for the small businesses out there who have little hope of pulling out of this financially. Eight, our government should be in the position to be temporarily supporting the hourly workers, the servers, etc., who live paycheck to paycheck, and they can't currently do much better. But instead, we're going to have to be splitting that by also bailing out huge companies, on top of that, the states and local governments, without the financial prudence. Nine, the day of reckoning will unfortunately come where you can't fake spend your way out of problems. I really hope it's not here now, but if it's not... It will still come one day. We got five minutes for us to disconnect from all intellect and let the rhythm affect. Follow your intuition. What do you mean by financialization? If you look at a lot of the corporate improvement over the last several years, or really even the last decade, uh, a lot of it hasn't really come from improvements in productivity, improvements in the underlying business. It's just come from like fiddling around with the numbers. Buybacks are common ones and buybacks aren't inherently bad, like used improperly, which a lot of people are, they're they're bad. But it's from that, from like borrowing money to like move stuff around with the numbers so that the earnings per share goes up, so that the stock prices continue to go up. It's it's just fiddling. Like the companies aren't actually doing better. And in in the link that I uh, give in the the tweet storm It gives a really good example. I think it was like Texas Instruments. The board and the CEO got tons of cash out of this. The earnings went up technically and all this stuff. But at the end of the day, the productivity didn't go up. And so the company's in worse shape than it was. I mean, this is what happens when you allow people to bet on companies. Isn't it just that simple? Or am I naive? Now, you're an investor. Can you describe to us your current portfolio allocation or strategy? I don't own a lot of stocks anymore. I own a few for the long term, but the vast majority is not there anymore. Most of my net worth is tied to private businesses. There's a lot in different VC and angel funds and stuff like that. I have a large chunk in gold, which is kind of a a hedge to 
short volatility, a hedge to all this other stuff I just mentioned, basically. A hedge to my business, to real estate, to the stock market. Historically, it has been. doesn't mean it will continue to be. What was the reaction across your portfolio companies when the news hit? With the companies that I own 100% of or, or close to, I've uh, been super lucky so far. It's pretty much balanced out to be about even. And I, I think we're really lucky with that. But we expect more pain to come. Like the SEO company, for example, we had a couple people leave. We had a couple people sign up. And, and that's, you know, we've got many clients, so it's not a huge deal. But the team already talked about it. Like we know over the next year there's going to be more people leave. Nothing else. We have people in the travel industry. They're dead. Through the, the companies that I'm invested in, it's across the board. I'm, I'm going to guess, you know, maybe 20% are seeing upticks, maybe a little bit higher. But of course, my businesses are very online focused. And then there's, there's a lot of people getting hit. And even, even places that you wouldn't even expect. So, for example, you know, Amazon is crushing it right now, right? They can't even keep up. Amazon businesses are getting hit. The service providers, the software providers, the sellers. Why is that? Well, everybody's scared for one thing. So they're reeling in ad spend. They're reeling in giveaways, like all this stuff. But they're also, depending on what you sell, Amazon put up a gate saying you, you can't ship in new inventory for a month because they're prioritizing stuff that's in demand, like medical stuff, as they should, but also general health, like vitamins and whatnot. And I don't even know what other categories, but certain categories, you can't even ship in inventory right now. Wow. For my Amazon businesses, we have a good enough margin. Like if that happened, we would be able to survive. But a lot of these Amazon businesses have pretty thin margins and they can't survive a month of that. A lot of these guys are also using debt. Like in e-commerce, it's super prevalent to use debt all the time. Uh, and you're kind of, you know, just floating it along because you can't afford to, to buy all the inventory yourselves. These guys are going to be in real pain soon, real pain. The metaphor I've been thinking about, this whole thing feels like a snow day. I mean, you grew up in uh, North Carolina. I don't know. Did you guys have snow days down there? Yeah, man. Because <laughs> you didn't have any salt trucks or whatever. So you guys probably <laughs> shut down for anything. But you sit at home in a snow day. Everybody feels like they're in waiting mode. Yeah. Like nobody's doing anything. Nobody's going to work. Everybody's like looking at the news and the news is not really saying much about what's going to happen, except it's going to be, we're going to sort this out in this way. And you're going to get this kind of money here. It's like the rubber hasn't met the road yet. And I think for internet businesses, we're even a few steps removed from that because like our rubber depends on how all this other stuff goes down. It just feels like the reality hasn't quite set in yet, which is why like seeing these canary in the coal mines, like the early people get laid off the the servers, like the restaurant industry, like the personal services industry, like hairdressers and all this kind of stuff. And we think like somehow like this is, is just going to all be back to normal given how leveraged to the hilt all of these small businesses are. It just doesn't seem realistic that the downstream effects aren't going to be extremely deep. So let's even talk about, let's say absolute best case scenario. Some doctor announces that we have this basic cure. It's not a vaccination. It's just over-the-counter stuff. You take it, it's good. Okay. That's awesome. That's amazing. Guess what? It's still not going to fix it. You and I 
we're not going to like up our spending. No, we're going to be waiting. We're going to be reeling stuff back soon because we're cautious people. A lot of other people are going to do that. A lot of other businesses are going to do that. Hopefully, as this as this goes away, like you know, the servers and all this stuff, they're going to get hired back pretty quickly. But a lot of others aren't. Business owners are going to be very cautious to dip the toe back in. They're going to be very slow boosting that ad budget back up. They want to get a buffer, especially I mean, so many of these companies don't have any buffer really. They're barely hanging on, so it, it, it can't bounce back immediately. As an entrepreneur, you've planned for this moment, and I have too. And now I find myself here and part of me is like, the fuck, what do I do? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, how are you thinking about creating opportunities out of what is otherwise a terrible situation? So I've been having a a lot of daily conversations with our mutual friend, Simon Stock, uh, recently about this. And as, as it was first happening, we were picking out different companies that are strong companies that are like, oh, yeah, 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 let's, you know, I got a price target on that. I want, I want to buy that at this. And finally, just like a week or two ago, I was like, you know what, man, this is crazy. Like I'm trying to catch a fallen knife. Like this looks like the potential could be really, really bad. A lot more than, than I'm even aware of. I'm not buying anything. I'm just sitting back waiting, you know, moving my portfolios around a little bit, staying cash rich, getting out of cash, getting more into, you know, some like gold, for example, or I'm just setting in in case this thing is is multi-year. What do you think the chances are that our dollars get severely just devalued? Have you thought about that? A lot. I want to start like everybody said that was going to happen after 2008. You know, they printed a lot of money, QE and all this stuff, and it didn't. It didn't happen at all, really. Quantitative easing. According to their, like, their bullshit metrics, like inflation hasn't really been a thing. Like, in reality, it has, though. Why is that? I just think that the numbers are fake. I don't want to say, like, the fake news, quote-unquote, and all this stuff. But I think just, like, the way things are, are kind of... Rigged is too dramatic of a word, but I just don't think that the actual numbers are relevant. You know, all of our our lattes cost more than they did before. And a a lot of the inflation has really just gone to like asset prices, stuff like that. Houses and everywhere, way more. It's interesting. It's like, as part of my argument against like real estate as investment is like, yeah, it always goes up. With everybody else's real estate. Yeah. <laughs> it's like <laughs> you're operating on thin margins, in other words, because like there's a famous real estate saying it's like, well, don't buy in a sub development because you know your home price is tied to the person's next to you. And that's like a perfectly reasonable argument. But if you accept that argument and increase your scope, well then your house price is tied to everybody's house price, right? Yeah. Like it depends on your perspective. Like if I own a home in Austin. It's totally tied to the whole market. In other words, like it's, there's thinner margins there. But one of the things I've been doing is like looking for like setting price targets for assets that I intrinsically value that also have traditional value. So one would be like a home worth living in. Rolexes would be another example or other like uh, luxury watches. The Rolex market has been so frothy, similar with like the whole global economy. But you know, Rolexes have been around for quite some time and they're beautiful and 
it's the kind of thing like if the US dollar goes down, then you know, I guess in some ways we're all going down with that ship. Yeah. As we kind of got into during 2008 and from then on, inflation didn't really happen. I just read a great article about it, which I can send to you and you can link to. But it's going into more details of like why, why this time very well could be much, much different. And a lot of it goes to like our sovereign debt levels now. I mean, they were high before, but as a percentage of like GDP, it's way higher now. And also we have, the nation is, is a much more in debt. It's not a creditor anymore like it has been in the past or in like 2008, you know, it wasn't a creditor, but it was just, you know, it was a debtor just a little bit, not, not enough to, to be a big deal. But now it's, it's absolutely massive. Uh, and I thought of a really good example was my, my grandmother, actually, of thinking this out. My grandfather, they had a big farm, like a cattle farm. And when my grandfather was getting old and he got sick, they took all the cows that they'd had for a long time and he sold them. And we'll say it was like 100 grand or something like that and put it in a savings account, right? Because at that time, the interest rates were good enough that you could live off the interest from that. And so he had figured it out. My grandmother can live off that for the rest of her days from this. But because of like interest rates going down and whatnot, she had to like dip into the principal a couple of times. You dip into the principal just a little bit and suddenly it's a snowball effect. And now you need higher and higher interest rates just to, just to get back to even. Same thing with these pension funds. So I think the same idea is, is kind of that in reverse with the sovereign debt. You know, now it's what, over 100% GDP. Like mathematically, you just can't really get out of that. So it's going to take more and more of our tax revenue just to pay interest on that. And so with that, there's really only two options like governments have. It's default which like Argentina's done, but the idea of the U.S. defaulting is insane. You know, it just can't happen. Or inflate your way out of it. In World War II, they had the treasury bills were like capped at like 2.5%, but the inflation rate was like 10% or something like that. So that they had all this debt that they just inflated away. And so that, that can be the only way it can really go away at this point. Lose control, a body of soul. Don't move too fast, people just take it slow. Your first business was started in a recession. Many of our listeners don't remember what that feels like. What are the opportunities for bootstrappers in a recession? So I'll say the first thing, if you're just starting out and you were as broke as I was, which meant like your net worth is most likely negative. My cash in the bank is in the single digit thousands like 2000, there is just no real difference in day-to-day life other than maybe a little more worry about providing for yourself because you can't get a job easily, but that's about it. There's no other differences. Yeah. But the upside is like ad rates are much, much cheaper. Freelancers and stuff like that, there'll be so many people looking to help out at reduced rates. So you can get stuff off the ground much easier with less money. I think it's hard to believe, but I think you're, it's totally true. It's the established businesses that are really sweating. For a bootstrapper, you just have to operate at a scale of one, which is get the work done cheaply, sell it for more. And we both did that. It's kind of like forging your opportunity from stone. You know, it's like 
it could potentially be much more robust if you start in a downtime because you'll start with that sense of a cost basis that's sustainable. Whereas, you know, at the time of the last recession, I both owned a very thoughtful, small, profitable business, and I worked for the opposite, a services business with tons of overhead and the services business, you know, just panicked to try to hold on to an old way of life. Meanwhile, the new business was establishing a new way of life. And hey, maybe we do have to hire people in the Philippines. And, you know, why are we paying these people again? And and all of a sudden, boom, something good, good can come of it. Yeah, for sure. It actually made me think about a lot of times when I'm advising startups and whatnot, I will frequently advise like, please don't get funding. Or if you get funding, get like, I think Rob Wallen called the fund strapped method, which is get a little bit of money from people who are going to be okay seeing your journey end up however. So if you want to just make a cash flow company, that's cool. So I'm kind of like frequently recommend don't go the VC route. Because once you do, like your path is set in stone. There's only one way this can work out for you, and that is getting big enough to sell. It's fragile. Yeah, it's fragile. And I'm seeing a lot of problems with the people who who didn't do that now. Not all of them. Some people are okay. But because they've taken this this money and the VC route, like you have to grow so much. And if you can't do that, like you're dead. It it, it takes away your options cuz let's say a business is making 30k a month for me and you. That's cool. Let's sell that. Amazing. We're good. If if you've raised money at a 5 million dollar valuation, you have nothing. Now that feels like it was centuries ago that those numbers were coming from. Yeah. These valuations or whatever. Yeah, because the valuation doesn't actually mean anything unless you are successful and can exit. It's tied their hands up. And I did that with my, my vitamin company, except I funded it myself. I funded it myself too much instead of bootstrapping. And because of that, we got so big, like we're early on, like, we couldn't sell because I would have lost and that would have been dumb. Right. I mean, part of me feels like it's interesting to see what's going to happen in our communities going forward, like this bootstrapped internet business community, because it feels like we're in such relative good shape. Like even if, like you said, say you had a services business with a lot of overhead and stuff, like you might have to shut that down. Of course, we're going to get hit. Me and you are going to get hit, whatever. But like, we're just so agile that it's like, well, figure out different cash flows and remaneuver things and stuff. Meanwhile, you're watching this big freight train of society. This feels like a different situation. I'm just really fascinated to see like how this all ends up for us as a community, like where we take this. Part of me thinks it could be a really special moment for things like remote work, for things like like a kind of a globalization that doesn't introduce risk into the system, mm-hmm. which I think is, you know, our people still have jobs, or at least as of today. I think our community will fare much, much better than, than most. You know, our community are more or less kind of bootstrappers at heart. Even the ones who took some money are more like bootstrap mindset. It's online focus. It's remote focus, more or less. Like all these things, you know, are ahead of the curve. We are agile because we're generally smaller, which is all of a sudden a good thing. You're not judging your company based on headcount. You're judging it based on how much profit are you making? Yeah. That type of stuff. And like your last comment, I think 
depending on how this goes, like I think of my grandfather, you probably know elders the same. They were very risk averse. They had reserves, you know, most of them, whenever possible. Like they were always kind of worried about like, oh, the Great Depression is going to come back type of thing. Or even the storm, the actual storms, you know, that they had to weather. It's almost like what we've done by de-risking the small things in life, like, oh, businesses are going to open up Monday morning, no worries. Like you're going to have enough cash flow because you can get a loan so easily, no worries. Because we've like de-risked all that stuff, now we've like introduced this huge systemic risk, which is like a big risk in America, for example, would be like, I imagine like all these surface highways with all these like licensees and business owners and retail shops down the sides of them. And like, what if like all of those just overnight aren't profitable anymore and like no one can figure out a way to make money with it? It's like a, a big part of what this country is just done overnight. Go reread some Taleb right now. Wow. Wow. He is called every bit of this the entire time. Every bit. That guy is just... Even six months ago, I was watching an interview. It was like on Bloomberg or CNBC or something like that. And he was calling these big corporations like, you need to have you know, major catastrophe insurance. You're dumb if you're not hedged. Like all this stuff. Like he didn't know the coronavirus was coming. Nailed it. Nailed it. Travis, one more thing. Uh, speaking of nailed it, two months ago, you wrote, uh, and this is my final question, entrepreneurship is a great life. But damn, some days are just a beatdown. It feels like without fail, it's always two steps forward, one step back. What were you talking about? All right. So you want like the, the actual story? Yeah. All right. So again, I have a supplement company and we have, I don't know, maybe 40 or 50 SKUs, individual products. None of these are private label. We make our own custom everything. And we use probably like six different manufacturers. We had one manufacturer who had made one product and we'd already stopped using them because they weren't like playing ball with like proper record keeping and stuff like that. Well, they pissed off the FDA enough to the FDA finally said, okay, you're done. Like they didn't find anything dangerous, but like you're not up to speed, you're done. And we're doing a recall on all of the products you've ever made in the last six years. And we're like, oh, crap. But, you know, that's okay. So, uh, you know, it's just one product of ours. No big deal. There was no safety issues. It's no big deal. So we just tell the people, like, you know, throw your stuff away. We'll refund you. Cool, right? Well, these guys gave not just like their specific product list. They gave their entire email list, including people who just gotten quotes and everything. They gave that to the FDA and they gave that to Amazon. And so all of a sudden, Amazon pulls down all of our listings, all of them. And we're like, hey, Amazon, like, you know, this isn't the case. Here's all of our evidence. Like, you know, put us back. Oh, it got way worse. Even from them, they then emailed all of our previous customers, all of them, and said, your product is part of a recall. So insane amounts of refund, refunds, insane amounts of, of lost trust that we built up over years. And we can't sell anything. And so it took us hiring lawyers, lots of back and forth. The lawyers had to talk to the shutdown company because that's the only documents that Amazon would accept. And so we finally got them back. And we still haven't even got them to rescind the email yet. We still haven't gotten them to remove all the negative reviews of people saying this was recalled, even though it wasn't. Like, so we're, we're still fighting an uphill battle with it. But Wow. And that's, 
a testament to your optimism as an entrepreneur, Travis. Uh, that's, I think, by anybody's standards, more than one step back. It's okay. You know, you get it and you just work through it. This is why I believe in entrepreneurship so much. And I think I hope people listening would choose it as a future for themselves. Is like, at the end of the day, you have to bear responsibility for this stuff, even if it's not your fault or, you know, whatever. It's like, you, it's not like you just got your year end bonus, the stock payers got paid, and you waltz to the next turnaround gig. There's something about being right there and having skin in the game that I find the great life. It's something to do with what you said. Entrepreneurship is a great life. And what did you mean by that part of it? Like I'm happy with what I do. You know, I own my day more times than not. The freedom to do stuff, the freedom not to do stuff. Community. I don't know. It feels authentic. And not that a lot of other career paths are not, but some of them are. Sure. I think with what's happening now in the economy, there's a very good chance that we have a lot more people joining our ranks. They're going to have no other choice but to, to enter this. Like if you've lost your job, you've been, hey, you've been thinking about doing this thing for a while, you're going to do that thing. And you're going to bootstrap it, you know, with pennies. Do it yourself. All right. Well, we welcome you with open arms. And thanks for choosing to uh, include us as part of your day-to-day, Travis. We really appreciate it. No, thanks, buddy. Yo, big ups to Travis Jameson. Check out his amazing SEO services over at, at Smash Digital. Also, Smash VC. Travis is uh, doing some incredible things on the web. Great follow on Twitter. Check out everything, show notes, links related to this episode over at tropicalmba.com. So first off, I mean, what an incredible thing to just to be able to call up someone like Travis, who's kind of like been a rock in this situation. He's not having these extreme responses. You know, he sort of saw this coming. He expresses like uncertainty, but also it's comforting to talk to people who just don't have all the answers all the time. I got to say, this is a, uh, just a really uncertain time for a lot of us. Like no one really knows the right thing to do right now. And that's okay. I mean, we're all trying to figure it out as we go. So it's pretty cool to be able to have a show like this where we can call up smarter people and get their take on it. Dan, my take is this. Financial crimes have been committed over the last 10 years. We've been getting away with things that we probably shouldn't be getting away with. But yeah. Will we continue to get away with them? I think maybe. That's one of the things that's just amazing to me, the last, especially the last couple of years, is like you just see a crime committed to you, whether it's by the government or these banks or whoever, and everybody just looks the other way. Everybody's just like, yeah, didn't see that. Well, you didn't see a that. A lot of us benefit from these crimes that, in the short term. That's right. And it hasn't come home to roost. And I think that's why people are like, screw it. Let's just keep on rolling this snowball down the hill, man. There is yeah. no. And even Travis used the word snowball, you know? I mean, I'll say this. The theme of this show that this all brings up and the thing about being an entrepreneur is that when everybody else is zigging, you got to be zagging. And the thing is, is like all this talk of economy and quantitative easing and like financialization and these, these smart people cooking books to like create liquidity and debt and all these big numbers that show up in the newspaper. And what the hell is all this stuff? As an entrepreneur, your job is like, cool, you guys do you. I got to do me. And at a certain point, you have to have your own sense of reality that jibes with things that you see in your everyday life. And I love Travis's point, which is like, look, as an entrepreneur, you don't need much to win. You need a couple customers. You need a hundred or a thousand customers. You need low expenses. You need to sell something that people value. All this economy stuff, 
all this smart people stuff, whatever, all this newspaper stuff. It's not smart people stuff. It's smoke and mirror stuff. It doesn't need to be your life. That's the point. And that's maybe that hopefully the silver lining on all this is like at the end of the day to be a, lo- a lifestyle business owner and to be incredibly wealthy and successful and have financial freedom, you just need a local economy, which is yours, that works. You need to figure that out for yourself and we're all here to figure it out together. Dan, I'd like to finish out the episode from the late, the great, this is sad for me, Kenny Rogers. You got to know when to hold him. You got to know when to fold him. Lovely musician. Thanks, boss man, for your contribution. (laughs) (laughs) Kenny Rogers, man. What a a legend. You all are legends. Uh, We know it's tough times. We'll be here. uh, We know it's tough times. Hopefully this episode uh, gave you a little bit of inspiration to keep plowing through despite the challenges you're facing. After all, that's our job as entrepreneurs. We always appreciate your voicemails, your questions, your contributions. We appreciate it. And also check out that mailing list, that website. We got tons of stuff going on below the pod more than ever today. Check it out, tropicalmba.com. Sign up for the newsletter and we'll let you know everything we're doing, whether it's live streams, job boards, whatever, you'll be in the loop. That's it. We'll be back next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.